Hi, this is Zach Semke with PassFast Accelerator, and thanks for tuning in to this special bonus episode of the PassFast podcast, recorded at Passive House Network's 2023 conference in Denver, Colorado. And a big thank you to Enersign for the support of the series. The interview you're about to hear was hosted by Mary James, our Director of Publications and co-host of the PassFast podcast. sitting here with Bronwyn Berry. Bronwyn, can you introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, Mary. Um, I am a Passive House architect based in California. My office is in San Francisco, and I'm a Passive House advocate, so I serve on the board. I have served on the board of Passive House California for 10 years. I was one of the founders, and then I was a founder of Passive House Network, and I currently still serve on the board there as policy director. Excellent. So um, your architecture practice has been growing as you've allowed it to have a little more time in your life. <laughs> um, I know. So um, including, so can you just, um, you do all Passive House projects, is that correct? I have, you know, since 2011, I committed my practice, rebranded and committed my practice to only do Passive House projects. It was the standard of care that I felt was um, something I could commit to and was something I felt strongly enough that that was what would deliver the outcomes that aligned with my own professional ethics and the climate uh, change commitments that we needed to meet as a community but also really fundamentally as a quality delivery vehicle for my clients um, that I could uh, commit to always being sure that every project I designed was going to be comfortable, have great indoor air quality, and in California it was going to be smoke-tight. So um, we could talk about a lot of different projects that you've worked on, but I'm going to jump to one that actually isn't in California, which is unusual for you, correct? Yes. So um, I have a colleague, a longtime collaborator in the passive house space, Andrew Mitchler, approached me uh, to collaborate on some projects with him. And I said, sure, let's, let's do it. Um, and we actually got to co-design uh, two projects together, um, one in California, which was in Clovis, so Central Valley, um, which unfortunately did not get built. But the other one that we worked on together was also just as exciting, was here in Colorado, in Colorado Springs. And um, the clients wanted a passive house building. Yes. So the clients had actually come to Andrew, their new Andrew, uh, had researched his work um, and the two of us met with them and we said okay well we're gonna we're gonna design this as you know, co-collaborators and um, they were fully on board um, fantastic program uh, it's one of the first projects where I have had the experience of the client saying you design the building this is the program we want 
but they really wanted a modern, um, you know, architecturally interesting and exemplary design. And it was a couple who um, were also living with her parents. So essentially we were designing a duplex that uh, looked and felt and behaved like a single family home and fit into a single family neighborhood, but functioned as a, as a duplex, which was a fun, super fun program to work with. And um, just for my own curiosity, was fire um, prevention, fire resistance part of the program? Um, fire resilience is becoming almost as synonymous with my own practice as Passive House. Uh, anywhere out west, I think we all are living in wildfire zones, whether it's legislated or mandated to be designed as a wildlife urban interface zone, a wooey zone, or not. I think um, we just designed that as a matter of course. Um, this is in a wildfire zone, if I recall correctly. I have to check the drawings, to be honest. Um, but as I say, again, it's just sort of something that Andrew and I, um, Andrew Mitchler has sort of lived through a lot of wildfire, uh, a lot of fires, his own family home in Oakland, burnt in the fires back in the early 90s. So, you know, has personal experience with that. Um, and as I say, it's just become an integral part of the, our practices. And um, just briefly... Um, I know that there's a lot of overlap between designing a passive house, the form of a passive house, and wildfire design. But were there any um, particular uh, aspects of designing for a wooey area that came into play in this project? They really, um, it's often in the material selection and in the detailing. Um, and just also being considerate of the buffer zone between the landscape and the building. So, so the passive house connections, you know, I think the, the smoke tight aspect of passive house, I now reference it, the passive house is smoke tight every, every time rather than airtight because it's really a, a superpower that that clients can really uh, get on board with. And I think that is really a, a key feature of, of Passive House in a wildfire um, prone area. And um, this project uh, has another unusual feature to it in that, or becoming more common feature, in that you're using prefabricated um, building assemblies in order to get the project built. Um, and how has that been for you? So that was a, f a really interesting um, element of this project because these clients wanted to be self-builders or owner-builders of the project. And we fairly early on in the process said, look, you know, maybe – you could, you could stick frame and build it conventionally on site yourselves, or we could go with the prefab panelized system because what that would allow was for them to get 
the main components of the building up really quickly, insulated, air sealed, and covered on, you know, like, you know, covered in really pretty quickly, and then would make fit and finishing the interior and the exterior cladding much simpler for them as owner builders. And that was really um, a fantastic pathway. They um, were really on board with that. We did a cost analysis of that. The panels were actually um, on par with what stick framing would have cost and maybe even a tiny bit more expensive just because the structural engineering was so front-loaded and, quite frankly, it was a very complicated site. Um, I think we could have made it cheaper if the site was a flat lot and we had designed a simpler building, but we had a steeply sloped lot. We had a complicated three-tiered design because we really wanted to tuck the building into the site and not make it really stick out and block the neighbor's views. We have these fantastic views of uh, Pikes Peak from, from the house, and we have views to the Garden of the Gods. So um, there were so many things. There were a lot of, lot of elements to um, accommodate and integrate. So step foundation with a prefab panelized uh, delivery was actually quite uh, complicated. It was probably the more complicated uh, pathway to go panelized, but in the end was really effective for these clients as self-builders. Yes, I can imagine. I mean, it's a huge step up in helping to guarantee that you're going to get the quality compared to self-building. You know, you're, you're going to get the passive house quality that you're aiming for much easier. Absolutely. And it really, um, we were fortunate to work with Collective Carpentry whose meticulous attention to detail and pre-planning and their commitment to doing the installation, the the delivery and installation in-house gave us a lot of confidence in the process. But I have to tell you, as the architect who signed off on the process, pretty stressful as the first experience, Um, not because I didn't trust uh, all the players on the team, but because I also understood the complexity that we were working with. Well, and as with most things, project number two is bound to be easier. (laughs) Absolutely, and I think it really did give us a lot of... um, you know, experience in what the process entails um, and also give us a lot more, you know, foresight into what we as the architectural team needed to prepare for 
the details we needed to incorporate and also actually the review process of the panels. Um, this is something that I think architects typically rely on the contractor to do. Um, but because everything's so much more front-loaded, um, that all of that stuff gets done uh, in the panel design, in the translation of the architecture and structural engineering into the panel design before anything gets built on site. Um, it's a lot. It's a little more work than our architects are used to in, in that regard. So, um, you know, understanding that that you know we essentially didn't. We've hardly had to do any construction administration, which we typically do a lot more of when a stick built on site is at the site visits and the site verification. We literally didn't need to do any of that, but we had to do that much further up, up front in the process. And what stage is the project at currently? So the, the project has already completed its blower door testing. They do have certificate of occupancy. Um, the roof and all the, most of the siding and all the, everything, all the main components are in. They're literally just all the plumbing works. The clients are living in the house. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's occupied. But, um, the little finished details like the baseboards and the door trim, and the stuff that isn't required for our certificate of occupancy, still they're they're still working on that. That's great. Yeah. Well, um, and before I let you go, I just have to say I attended a policy workshop that you you organized this morning, and it was amazing. The sharing, the fostering, the community of so many different um, pieces that Passive House could impact and is impacting was outstanding. And um, I imagine it must have taken quite a bit of organizing to get everybody there. So first of all, that was not something I did on my own. You know, as with anything in Passive House, I always say it's a team sport. I had four people as a part of my Passive House Network policy committee. We formed a subcommittee to host this policy roundtable. We spent months collecting the names of people we wanted at the table and then designing a program that addressed the needs of what is needed here in Colorado and then putting together speakers who could speak to the different parts and uh, steps in the Passive House pathway that we have documented. We've created a set of resource documents for policymakers to utilize. But to your point, the connecting of the policymakers and putting them in a room together and introducing them to their peers from other parts of the country is always the main uh, goal of the 
of the whole exercise. So, um, yeah, I was very pleased with the energy in the room and the exchanges that we had, but it was very carefully engineered. I felt like that was a prefab panorized policy session. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was super exciting and definitely a lot of energy in the room. And um, just to conclude, for to help out um, people involved in the policy space, PassFast Network has put together a great set of resources, and there are others coming out. And um, they're all available on the Passive House Network website. Yes, they are. So under resources, the drop-down tab, you go to policy um, policymakers resources. We have another one called Passive House Reports. All of the resources are freely available online, and we want policymakers to utilize them. But more importantly, we also want our members and Passive House practitioners to utilize them because we've seen over and over again that practitioners can massively influence policy. And we know that and we want to bring those folks the tools to be able to go to their local jurisdictions and say, hey, here's what Massachusetts is doing, and here's the language they used. And hey, this is what New York has done, and these are the pilot, these are the incentive programs they structured there and they implemented. And hey, um, you know, these are uh, zoning um, uh, benefits that we can use as incentives to make it more attractive for local projects and developers to do passive house. So we've given them all of these, this documentation. It includes links to who's doing what where and the specific language that they've used so that everybody can access them and adapt them to their own local regions. Well, that is a great note to end on. And um, Bronwyn, I really appreciate your time. I know it's a busy conference for you, so love talking with you. Thanks, Mary. Always a pleasure. 